Amen. Wow, what a great time of worship. What, how wonderful to have Steve Dewar and the folks from Agape with us today. In, in just a few minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to give generously to support women who find themselves in troubles, babies who need help. In, in about 30 minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to give. And today, everything above our normal budget will go directly to Agape. We've set a, a measly goal of $15,000. We'll do much better than that, I believe, because there's a great need. So we're claiming the promise of Jesus, ask and it shall be given, and we are asking you. I got to experience that last Sunday. I made a really subtle plea for Alabama LSU tickets, and somebody in the middle of the service gave me tickets. It was amazing. Thank you, Benji and all. So amazing. But, but let me say this. If you give generously today, your gift will be more productive than the gift that I received, okay? <laughs> you, you, you will be in better shape. I, I love this quotation because I think many of us say it, and there's some truth in it, but, but here's how it goes. Christians should be known for what they're for, not what they are against. Now, in many ways, that's true. If you took a poll of the average American and said, what are Christians about, they would say, well, they're anti-freedom, they're anti-sex, they're anti-fun, they're anti... They just name a bunch of things that we're against. And, and often we do give that impression that we just, we just don't want things done. That's all we do. If you're old enough, you can probably remember the old saying, Christians don't smoke, dip, or chew, or go with girls who do. Okay? So you may want to break up with some of your girlfriends, all right? I mean, we, 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 that's the attitude. And, and there is some truth to this that we've got to be known what we're for. What I want you to know this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is we're for joy. We're for life, abundant life, eternal life, all those things. But in some ways, that statement right there is impossible because you can't be for something without also being against something. It's really a logical impossibility. If you're for something, you're against something. For instance, if you were growing up in the 19th century and you believed the Declaration of Independence, that all men were created equal, and you are for equality, the only logical thing for you to do, the only right thing for you to do, would be to be anti-slavery. If I were to say to you this morning, I am pro-marriage. Well, obviously, if I'm pro-marriage, I'm also anti-adultery. And so today we come to a really big subject in our culture today of abortion. And I know this is an extremely sensitive subject. And we're going to look to Jesus of how to handle this. But let me first of all just address some of the numbers. 25% of pregnancies in America end in abortion. 40% of American women have had an abortion. So I know I'm talking to people that this is an extremely sensitive subject. I know I'm talking to some men who on your end, you push someone to end a pregnancy. And what I ask you is to bear with me. I ask you to hear the whole presentation. I'm, I probably will not convince everybody in the next 20 minutes of a position. And the odds are I'm going to make some people mad today. All right? So hold on with me. Well, let's start in a really safe place, and that's watching Jesus handle 
a very sensitive moral issue with a person. John chapter 8, let's read this incredible story. It says so much about our Lord. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers, the law, and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. What a scene. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. Jesus seems to be in a no-win situation. If he says, stone the woman, it appears he's not a friend of sinners. If he says, don't stone her, it appears he's not a friend of the law of God. So he's in this trap. What will Jesus do? Absolutely brilliant. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. That's one of the most brilliant lines of all history. Okay, dudes, you got your rocks in your hand. Go ahead and throw them as long as you've never sinned. If you're perfect, you can go ahead and chunk them. Crazy thing here is Jesus could have because he was perfect. Again, he stooped down and rolled on the ground. At, the, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with this woman still standing there. See, that's what this was about for Jesus. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Now, I visualize this as this is the first time this woman looks up. She's had her head down and covered, waiting on the stones to hit. And finally, Jesus asked this question. She peeps around and she smiles and says, No one, sir. And then Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, Jesus found it possible to be pro this woman and at the same time anti her adultery. Jesus found it possible to love the sinner and to hate the sin, and he always did. So this morning, we look to Jesus as our example. See, our challenge as Christians today with traditional views about Scripture is how do we hold in tension this anti-abortion and pro-life? Because what our world so often hears is they just hear that we're anti-abortion. Even when we say we're pro-life, they immediately jump to that conclusion. And what I'm saying today is to be pro-life, you must be anti-abortion. But what is challenging to us is we must not only be anti-abortion, we must be absolutely pro-life. So let's start in the negative end. Why would we as Christians be anti what the world has accepted is okay. Number one, human life is sacred. Genesis chapter 1 says that we are all created in the image of God. You bear the very image of God. Every person does. And it started back when you were conceived. Look at Psalm 139. 
For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. It started right there at conception. Now, here's what's so wonderful about the Christian view. Because of that, we believe that all life has value. And and listen, your value is independent of what you can do. Steve told a great story before communion about Elijah. Here's someone who had nothing to bring to the table. But because we believe in life and value every human life, agape served them. A family served them. You see, today we value the baby in the nursery who can really give back nothing today as much as we value the most active, productive member of this church. We value the person here who's got mental challenges and struggles as as much as we value the most brilliant person among us. We value the older person who has nothing to contribute to society anymore because they're incapacitated as much as we do the greatest athlete in this room. We value them all because that's what God's people do. Number two, children are a blessing. Listen to what the psalmist said about this. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Because we live in culture that because of our lifestyle, because of how busy we are, and because we think the goal of life is to, to always, you know, do what I want to do, that we devalue children. And if we're not careful, we look at children as just a hassle that gets in the way of me being able to live my life completely independently without having to think of someone else. And so you see a disparaging of people loving children. And yet you see in Scripture, man, they're a gift from God. They're a blessing. Now, now one, one rejoinder I want to say here, he did not say teenagers are a gift from God. Thank goodness they're on retreat today. Sorry about that. (laughs) Children are a blessing from God. Number three, and I can't word this any nicer, abortion is murder. I like to. I tried to all week. What could I say nicer? I just can't, can't come up with it. Exodus chapter 21. You'll see verse 22 on the screen. I want you to see the next verse, but I want you to hear it. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands. And the court falls. Now, this one's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to hear every word in it clearly. But if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, Bruise for bruise. What's he saying? If you did something to that woman and it killed that baby, you have murdered the child. That's a hard truth. But that is the consistent directive of of Christianity. The early church fathers had to address this. The Dachi wrote these words. You shall not murder a child, whether by abortion, abortion or killing it after its birth. You say, why would, why would a, Somebody back then have to say that. Well, let me tell you. Guys, we don't know anything about this issue compared to Roman culture. I mean, abortion in Roman culture was rampant. And, and, and if you had a baby and you didn't like the baby, or more times than not, if you had a, a baby and you wanted a, a male and you had a female, it was okay just to leave that baby out to die. 
And so it had to be addressed. We think, wow, thank goodness we're not that far. Well, we're not very far. Just one year ago, the governor of Virginia said he would be for a woman have a choice to kill her baby after the baby was born. And so we must affirm what is really going on in this situation in our culture just as much as they had to. Now, number four, Christians protect the weak. You know, when, when, when Jesus is talking about helping homeless and those in prison and those who are hurting, and he says, you know, when you did that to them, you did it to me. And they said, well, when did we do it for you? And he said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. Jesus says, as we treat people in trouble, we're treating him. Now listen to me closely. All through God's word, God has a special, God has a heart for everybody, but God has a special heart for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, for the immigrant, for the woman, all through scripture. And so something that really strikes me really wrong is that many of us who claim to be pro-life also demonize the immigrants that God said you ought to take special care of. Somewhere we're contradicting ourselves. God is pro-life. And there's no one more vulnerable than the unborn. No one who needs more protection than someone who can do absolutely nothing for themselves. And then number five, science speaks clearly. You see, we live in a culture where some of our major newspapers will not describe a pregnant woman as having a baby. She has a fetus. Or, or some newspaper says she actually has pregnancy tissue. Who came up with that? But listen, conception is the only place in the universe where spontaneously there is a new strain of DNA that's not the mother's or the father's. And today we know a whole lot more than when Roe versus Wade came down in 1973. At eight weeks, we now can watch a baby suck their thumb. We can see that the baby has brain waves. We can actually determine that that little baby has dreams. And the little baby actually feels pain. And so when the abortion doctor comes in to abort that baby, that baby will withdraw from those instruments. See, we see a lot more today. That's why I'm so thrilled that we have the Life on Wheels people with us today. Who they're there for a woman to see that baby. Here's some fabulous statistic. 89% of women who are walking into abortion clinic, who come across the street to the Life on Wheels, 89% will choose life. And that's what we're here for. Amen. Let's, let's, Let's clap for that. So let's get to the good stuff. Guys, not only must we be anti-abortion, we must be pro-life. Let me tell you some ways we do it. First of all, legally. Obviously, we would be thrilled for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. Anyone who's a legal scholar here will probably tell you it's one of the worst cases, even if you were pro-abortion, possible. But, But often I feel like we as Christians have put all of our eggs in this legal, political basket. Because, look, we've got to face this. Even if Roe versus Wade is overturned tomorrow, it will then go to 50 states. 
And we know where most of those states stand. You see, just trying to change the laws is not enough. That's what they think about us. So we must also not only be pro-life legally, we must be pro-life compassionately. Guys, understand this. The majority of people who have abortions are poor. They really have no choice about what's going on. Listen to this one lady who researched people having abortion. Her name is Frederica Matthews Green. She went across the country interviewing women who had had abortions. Here's what she found out. The core reason I heard was I had an abortion because someone I love told me to. Let's not let the men off the hook this morning. Again and again, I learned that women had abortions because they felt abandoned, they felt isolated and afraid. As one woman said, I felt like everyone would support me if I had an abortion. But if I had the baby, I'd be alone. I felt like I didn't have a choice. The only person, only one person had stood by me, even if only one person had stood by me, even a stranger, I would have had the baby. And then Matthew Green's concluded, pretty vivid words. No one wants an abortion the same way they want an ice cream cone or a Porsche. A person wants an abortion as an animal caught in a trap wants to gnaw off his own leg. Desperate people do desperate things. We need to love and care for desperate people. And that's the opportunity that you and I have today. To not just stand on the corner and scream at people, but to actually be there to help people in extremely vulnerable situations. We must be compassionate. We must have the ability to put ourselves in their skin and understand what they're going through, even those who've already made the mistake. Because the truth is, everyone loses an abortion. The baby loses. Our culture loses. And yes, the mother loses. She will still go through the same things that she would have went through if she had been pregnant. She is still just as prone to post uh, post-birth trauma and depression. All those things happen. So we've got to be compassionate. And then we, we've got to be forgiving. Guys, we need to be serious this morning about babies without desecrating women who already have enough guilt that they piled on themselves. If you are guilty here today, I am not here to add to your guilt. I believe there is no unforgivable sin, including abortion. And Jesus showed us the perfect balance when he encountered this woman caught in adultery. He's able to lift her head and at the same time speak both truth and grace. And I hope you hear that loud and clear today. The Apostle Paul put it well, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. The truth is, there is no one in this audience today sinless. There is not one single one of us who can cast a stone, but we can offer grace. And then number, the next point personally, this is so important. We got to get involved. We've heard so many stories this morning about foster care and adoption and, you know, serving and resourcing. Guys, listen to this. For every 15 adoptions in America, that's great, and there's a long line of people waiting. There's a 1,000 abortions. And so it's not enough for us just to scream. Probably don't need to. 
It's not enough for us just to vote. We got to be the people that are willing to get involved because if a woman chooses to keep her baby or if a woman chooses to put their baby up for adoption, we're going to all applaud, and that's good. But the question is, what do we do after the applause fades? Are we there for them? So I want us to talk about that a little bit this morning, and I want you to hear a really great story about a lady. I want you to watch this video about a lady named Denarcia who made the right choice, and then we're going to find out a little bit more about how she was helped. Well, I had just recently discovered that I was pregnant. This was my third pregnancy. It was a surprise. I was not in the place that I wanted to be. It was hard for me to even get up and go to work. It was hard for me to cook. It was hard for me to take care of the two live children that, you know, I already had. So I just wasn't sure if I even could parent, you know, my unborn child. And that's when someone told me about Agape. I had previously graduated from Virginia College with an associate's degree in nursing. I was having trouble passing NCLEX, which is the Alabama State Board test for new nurses. I thought about passing the test every day, you know, because I knew that that would put me in a more comfortable spot financially. I just can't give up. If I have my mind set on something and I I know that, you know, this is what I have to do, I, I have to do it. Miss Nancy, she recommended me uh, to a young lady that was a member of Agape, and she helped me study. She kind of tutored me because she had previously taken NCLEX and whizzed it. (laughs) I love Miss Nancy to death. She has become one of my best friends. She has a genuine love for people. She just uh, has a genuine love to just help people. She once told me her goal is to make me feel valued and loved. So I told her that she accomplished that a hundred times. I know now that I really have favor with Christ. He has showed up and showed out for me. He put agape in my life and I mean, they just, they've taken care of me. They've done things that I don't think no one else would have done. I'm glad to have Steve uh, on stage with us because Steve knows a lot more details because when something awesome like this happens, it involves a lot of people. And so I want you to fill us in a little bit because we've got the the Life on Wheels people here and actually the the RV out here. Tell us what role they played. They played a very key role in in Darnesia's story. Darnesia was abortion-minded and was on her way to have the abortion ultrasound and she saw the opportunity for a free ultrasound that Life on Wheels provides. And so she went in and she got to see her daughter, Arabella, on the screen. And she went back again, and actually a third time, to just reinforce that she wanted to give life to Arabella. And without Life on Wheels, we don't have this great story here. Amen. And then 
her life kind of fell apart. And Life on Wheels called Agape and said, would you walk alongside Darnesia as she makes a parenting plan? And we said, absolutely. So we did this together. Tell, tell me a little bit also, because this will, this will help us. How did her church help her? Well, as she was approaching delivery, um, you know, one of the things that Satan does is he, he uses shame against us. Mm-hmm. And she had been keeping things quiet. It actually stopped going to church. And she went back and visited with her pastor and told him what was going on. You see, when she didn't pass that NCLEX test, she took a major pay cut because she lost her temporary nursing license. And she went from making around $25 an hour to less than $10 an hour overnight. That would cause all of us some, some pain. And she went to her pastor and said, I need help. I want to find a job so I can help pass this NCLEX and get going. He said, do you realize we have a bunch of nurses who go to church here? And she said, no. He said, can I share your story with the church? And she gave him permission. And by the time that church service was over, she had three job offers from three different healthcare facilities with people giving her a chance and help to pass that NCLEX. What a beautiful story. Uh, uh, fill us in a little bit more about Agape, especially uh, we've loved Nancy Guilford around here for a long time, but tell us the role Nancy played in this. Well, Nancy is our maternity worker, and, and I, I often call her Miss Nancy Tough Love because Nancy mm-hmm. is that mom that these moms often need in their lives. Many of them are in the place that they're in in crisis because they don't have family support. Agape and with our staff like Nancy, we meet that need. Recently, we had a mom who contacted us two weeks before she delivered to make an adoption plan. And as she made the adoption plan and she's working with Nancy, she texted Nancy one day and said, Miss Nancy, can we do this after the baby's born? Mm. And she said, what is this? And she said, just talk. Mm. And Nancy said, absolutely. Our services to moms in crisis doesn't end when the baby's born. We continue to work with moms sometimes six months later, sometimes longer if the needs are there. But, buddy, here's the part most folks don't realize. 70 to 80% of the moms we work with choose to parent, not make an adoption plan. Agape's mission is that vulnerable children will have permanency in safe, nurturing families. Uh, would you repeat that again? Because I love, I saw that on your website. Repeat the simple mission statement that we're about to give to. Vulnerable children will have permanency in safe, nurturing families. And if a mom chooses to parent and we can help her be that safe, nurturing family for that child, we have carried out our mission. That means it's less likely that child's going to come into foster care later on. So, that's what we do, and I honestly find that the work we do with our moms in crisis is where we encounter the most brokenness and where we get to show that unconditional agape love. Thank you, Steve. I, I feel like I've learned some things over the last few weeks that I didn't know that were emphasis in agape. So thanks, Steve, for being here and filling us in on this information. And, and here's some other news to celebrate Darnesia's little girl, Arabella, has turned one years old just this past Wednesday. So celebrate that. So we get to the great part of our service right now when we get to be pro-life financially. 
Uh, Today at this moment, we get a chance to not just speak, not just talk. We get a chance actually to put our money where our mouth is. And, And when you hear these stories, you think, what could I give to that would be any better? And so when the baskets are passed, make sure you put your connection card in there. But more importantly, if you write a check, just go ahead and write to Landmark and we'll distribute the funds. Or you'll see up here in just a moment the different ways you can text give or you can give online. In just a moment, as the baskets are played, passed, we get a chance to partner with a great organization to make sure there are more stories that we'll share by next November when we gather together for Agape Orphan Sunday. Let's pray together, and then let's worship through our giving. God, thank you so much, God, for the stories we've heard. Thank you, Father, for the truth and the grace that we've been reminded of. Oh, Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Father, the truth is nobody in here has a rock they can throw. But, Lord, almost every one of us has something that we can give to make a difference. So, Lord, as we make this offering, not just to agape, but in honor of you and your son, may we be generous, and may you take this offering and do more and more great things so that we can truly be a people that are not just anti-abortion, we are pro-life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. What an awesome song. And what a tie-in to the story that we have based our comments on today. It was Jesus when that adulterous woman is about to be pounded by rocks, who's living in absolute embarrassment and guilt, who lifts her head to see the perfect Son of God say, I don't condemn you. Go, sin no more. And today, what we want to proclaim very clearly is that as a church and as individuals, we are pro-all life. Today, my prayer has been since early this morning, is that this message is not about me or what you think about this message is not about you. This message is about babies. And we get to be pro-life. But that's not the only subject we're pro-life on. We're pro-life when it comes to babies. We're pro-life when it comes to the mothers. We're pro-life for the mothers who've made mistakes. We have proven as a church we are pro-life when it comes to addicts. We are pro-life for people who've been through the messiness of divorce. We are pro-life for people that are struggling with depression. We are pro-life when it comes to people struggling with same-sex attraction. We are pro-life whatever your issue may be. Because as Jesus made it clear, not one of us has a stone to throw. And we want to be known as a church that people run to, not run from. Amen? Amen. Come on. We want to be a church that people run to, not run from. And today, if you come in here, and this has been a tough morning for you, maybe because of this issue, maybe because of another issue in your life, we want you to feel comfortable to run to us. You know, guys, let me tell you this. On this subject, there's some great legal arguments. There's some good political arguments. I think I can preach a decent sermon on it. But that's not what's going to win the day. What's going to win the day is this one book is titled, People Are Going to Be Won Over by Love. 
And that's an amazing book written by a man named Gary Thomas, who told the rest of the story about the famous Jane Roe from Roe versus Wade. Her actual name was Norma McCorvey. And she was working in Dallas a few years ago, actually working at an abortion clinic. And during that time in her life, she met another woman whose mother was actually pro-life. And they did what it seemed no one else in Dallas would do. They loved on Jane Roe, Norma McCorvey. They brought her in and they loved her. She, they, they, they bugged her till she finally came to church with them. She came to church and came to faith in Jesus Christ and surrendered her life to Jesus. And now the most famous name in pro-abortion center is now the greatest opponent of abortion and advocate for life. And she wasn't won over because she heard a sermon like this. She wasn't won over because she heard some arguments. She was won over because people loved her. And that's what we want to do today. And so today, if you need some, somebody to love on you, if you need to show up at this front row and confess some sin, I guarantee you, you'll be forgiven and you'll be loved. If today you're struggling with life and you just need to hear us say to you personally, we are for you. You don't have to run from here because you've got problems. Let's struggle together. Let's be victorious through the power of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And so today there are no rocks to be thrown, but there's a lot of love to be given. If you need to come to Jesus, come right now while we all stand and sing.